Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that's designed to spotlight pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to drive more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host, Ben Chiquetti, and for this episode, our Customer Success Director, Amy Tranter, sat down with Margaret Jobling, CMO of NatWest, to discuss trust, data privacy, the value exchange, and much, much more. Before I hand it over to Amy and Margaret, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episode of Identity Architects lands. But without any further delay, here's Amy's conversation with Margaret. Hello, Marg. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you, Amy. I hope you're keeping well. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know you, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and Nat West? who you are and what you do. So Marg Jobling, I'm the CMO for NatWest Group. Been there two years um, and look after basically marketing insights and customer experience strategy. Great, thank you. Um, so we're gonna do a few quick fire questions, warm us both up, and then we'll go into the more grittier stuff. Yep. So first of all, what is your earliest memory of advertising? My earliest memory, I would say, for Mash Get Smash. That would be for Mash Get Smash. Little aliens, remember, back in the day. That would be one of the first ads that I remember. I'd love you to sing a little bit more for us. You wouldn't, Tammy. You really would. (laughs) You want people to carry on listening? Oh, stop that now. Lovely. Um, What was your first job in either advertising or marketing? So my first marketing job was in Unilever because uh, I was a techie by background. So I did a PhD in laser chemistry, believe it or not. And wow. then I moved into Unilever to do R&D. So my first job was a senior brand manager for Dove deodorant for UK and for Europe. So right. yeah, they must have been mad giving me that job, to be fair, when I look back. But because I, I had no marketing experience, so I got chucked in right at the deep end. But then look at, look at you now. They obviously knew what was to come. Um, so knowing what you know now, um, what would you say to yourself when you first started your career? I would say to myself now, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you can't sprint a marathon, but you know, just enjoy, learn, don't be in too much of a hurry. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. I try and tell myself that. Um, easier said than done sometimes, though, isn't it? It's nice to hear from somebody else. Uh, what do you love about what you do right now and the industry that you're in? So I absolutely love financial services. And I think the reason I love financial services is because we can make a real and practical difference to people's lives. So money really does make the world go round. Yet in the UK specifically, it's not talked about. It tends to be a thing of stress for many people. There's actually still really sadly very little financial education for young people. And some of the stats are shocking. I mean, 80% of young people don't feel confident about their financial future. 50% of people, young people, don't really understand money and how to manage money. So I love the fact that in the role I'm in, we can make not just a financial difference, but a societal difference and have a real impact on people's lives. Yeah, that's that's lovely to hear. Um, gosh, I didn't realise those stats were so high. So yeah, I, I do understand that making a difference. So within advertising, we're obsessed with the concept of 
identity and the ability to identify certain individuals across devices and platforms. Talking about the younger generation, um, how would you explain this term identity to a 10-year-old? Oh, what a question. For I me, know, we're keeping I, you on your toes. <laughs> for me, identity on digital platforms is, a, is the same as fingerprints. So to a young person, I'd be saying, think about your fingerprints in real life. You touch things and it leaves a mark and you can't see it, but you can be identified by it. And what you do online is exactly the same. You leave a digital fingerprint wherever you go that is unique to you and you can be tracked and traced and you can see what you're doing. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds brilliant. Um, and to a slightly more intense question, um, what keeps you awake at night? Assuming this is to do with, obviously, the industry, it could be a wider thing if you want. So I would say from a work perspective, yeah, nothing keeps me awake at night, actually, apart from the dogs barking at the foxes in the garden. The thing that really keeps me awake at night, well, not necessarily. So from a work perspective, there's nothing keeps me awake at night. What does keep me awake at night literally is foxes and the dogs going mental. Yeah. But what I worry about or what I think is challenging for us in the industry is where we need to change customer behavior. So and two things I would really call out that I think are challenging. How do we help customers change behavior around climate and sustainable solutions? Because that's a real challenge today and we know to hit our business goals it has to be a partnership it's a partnership with customers it's a partnership with industry it's a partnership with government and regulators and I think that's a real challenge particularly against a backdrop of cost of living where unless you can position solutions around good for the planet good for the pocket I think we're going to really struggle because some of the solutions are expensive or more expensive. So I think behaviour change around sustainability, there is a big gap between what we say and what we do. So there's a willingness and intent there, but it's not flowing through to action. And the other area where I think is a real conundrum for us is frauds and scams. So we are the fraud capital of the world, literally in the UK, which is driven by we're digitally savvy nation and we're relatively affluent nation when you look at us in the context of the world so therefore, we're a real target for frauds and scammers. We're seeing it going up. So one of our big challenges is how do we work with our customers to help keep them safe and keep their money safe? Because you know they're really smart people out there who are spending a lot of time thinking about how to extract cash from people illegally. And some of the stuff we do ourselves doesn't help that. You know, passwords, giving stuff away in terms of key information. So both require, I think, behavioural shift from customer, which is hard to really incite and do. So for me, it's the big, you know, one of the big questions of how marketing can step in and help shift behaviour. I mean, on the fraud stuff, 90% of customers never think it's going to happen to them. Yet when it does, it's absolutely catastrophic, both from a financial perspective, but from an emotional, you know, it makes me feel stupid. How did it happen to me? It's traumatic. And yet, when I look at some of the steps that people are taking, they're not protecting themselves well enough. So that for me, it's the big challenges, I think, around how do we help customers do something to help themselves in a way that both is educational and useful and not patronising. And and they are, I think, behaviour change challenges. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's that tough scenario where you need to raise awareness of something potentially quite scary before you actually change that behavior. So that's, I guess, a quite a difficult position to be in. And what comes first? You almost want to raise awareness of something bad doesn't happen to someone. Yeah. And I think your other point around sustainability, we see that come up quite a lot on this podcast. Um, So I think everybody's being quite mindful of it. But as you say, it's what are those steps that we need to take? So yeah, thank you for sharing those. Quite a few things keeping you up. Thank you for sharing. Um, What gets you motivated in the morning? Switch this round. I, and I think I've said, I love work for the financial services industry, specifically love working for NatWest groups. And, and the reason I, I get such a joy out of it is we are very purpose-driven as an organisation. So what gets me out of bed in the morning is I'm working for a financial service provider that really does care. I'm working with a set of people with a similar value set who want to change the world. And we've got to figure out how we do that. And I can have a direct impact on people, people's money and you know, society. So what gets me out of bed is the opportunity to do that with people that I really, really enjoy working with. And you can see outcomes like the, you know, I talk a lot about outcome, not busyness. You know, I think quite often people mistake busyness for effectiveness and it's not the same thing. So I can see we are tangibly making a difference whether it's through the work we're doing with NatWest Thrive or the work we're doing on climate. I mean, we've just we've just published our STBI targets. We want the first that are out there with the plan and transition plans. And, you know, that's big, impactful stuff. But fundamentally, it's with a group of people I just love working with. You know, there's no agendas, there's no egos. It's a culture where we genuinely do care, care for each other. And, you know, our purpose is all about how do we help our customers and businesses and our people thrive. And my job is to unblock the blocks that gets in the way of that. So, yeah, I just love what I do because I can see I, it adds value to the world at large. And people need reasons to jump out of bed for work. That isn't just I've increased the share price by 1% because that's not enough. That's not why I don't work. And don't tell my boss, but I don't work for the... The money doesn't motivate me. It's it's actually doing a good job and making a difference is what gets me excited. And I work for an organisation where I really can do that. For the listeners that can't obviously see us having this conversation, you are literally grinning ear to ear. So it's the most excited I've seen you talking about it all. So I can truly see that motivation. And I think, I agree, I think, people first and then you know results follow as well so I can completely empathize and and relate with that and right last rapid fire question for you if there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life what would it be feel free to tell me or sing it (laughs) if I sing it you'd never recognize it I have a terrible singing voice even though I think I can sing um I would say don't stop believing journey I am an absolute eternal optimist and that is my karaoke go-to so more shouty I would say to be fair but yeah I just I believe that you know yeah don't stop believing you can do it and I think the thing that holds us back is self-limiting beliefs and actually the more you could be out there what I've always go what have you got to lose the worst anyone could ever say is no and then they need a good reason to stop you from doing stuff so 
yeah push on do what you believe in so don't stop that's great um karaoke song that might be podcast number two perhaps in the future coming our way okay thank you so now we're going to go a bit more gritty on some of the questions here so everyone's talking about first party data the cookie list future and privacy what are your thoughts around the status quo in the industry right now so outside of financial services and how is NatWest preparing for the future? Quite a big question. <laughs> wow. How do you go from don't stop believing to... I know. Well, <laughs> you've built us all up now with that song. We can't wait to hear the next part. We can sing this. So what do I think? I would say, I mean, Coquillus is not new. I mean, it's been around actually for a number of years on the agenda. And But what we are seeing is a rapid shift and, and it's definitely gaining momentum. If you look at the reality, probably 50% now is on the internet is cookie-less. And actually, we've been trying to figure and solve for many years around what do we need to do and how do we do it. And it starts, I, I would say, if you think our job is to serve our customers and make sure we serve them and build relationships in the right way, this is all in service of helping and protecting customers and not over-serving advertising and make sure we manage that relationship. The biggest thing companies can do is to sort out the first party data. I mean, that ultimately is going to be the route through to your ability to talk to customers and therefore getting your first party data in good quality, making sure you've got hard opt-in and permissions to be able to talk to your customers is the most critical thing we can do and work with the tech platform. So because you know, as they're making changes and thinking about what they're doing, how do you work in partnership with those platforms? Because ultimately, you need to be ahead of the curve and thinking about it. But the single most important thing you need to do as an advertiser service provider is to get your house in order. Because if you get your house in order and you've got the right value exchange with customers and they want you to talk to them, then actually you can have direct access and then you work through how do you append and all the rest. But the start point is get your house in order on your data. Yeah, that's a really clear message. And I love the reference to partnership. You kept mentioning about partnership in that it is something so important and it's not about being market leading or competitive. It's just partnering with consumers and businesses and partnering with tech platforms. And I love the reference of that, I think we are such a fast competitive um, world. It's lovely to just hear you say that partnership is kind of key. You don't have to do it alone. People are doing and figuring this out together. Totally. And, you know, some of the stats, I mean, I'm, on my other day job, I'm ISPAR president and obviously looking at, you know, one of the biggest challenges in our industry is trust. But what undermines trust? You know, if I give you, if, if I give you my data, are you using it in a responsible way? You know, how are you building and serving content that's relevant for me? How are you building engagement that feels like it, it isn't you selling me something all the time? Yeah. You know, and I've got a Michael Kors handbag that follows me around the internet because we're over-serving ads. And, you know, and actually transparency in the industry is one of the things that we really need to fix. I mean, 85% of customers would say from the Credos stuff that was done back in um, with the AA in 2020, advertising is everywhere in a bad way like you know i'm being bombarded and actually if i look at what the regulator is trying to do is trying to protect the customer if you look at what brands are trying to do they're trying to do the right thing for their customers and serve up the right content 
at the right time that is relevant. And ideally, what platforms want to do is serve the right content to their customers so they keep coming back. And therefore, the, the collective, we've all got the same ambition. How do we work together to solve what's right for the customer? Because ultimately, that is the person where it all comes together. And the reasons we exist as brand is to help our customers thrive. And the reasons those tech platforms exist are advertiser funded to help their customers thrive. So, and you know, the unlocker of all of that is data. And I think it's a real differentiator for brands if they manage it well and treat it as a what I think is a differentiating capability. Yeah. Rather than and you know, the thing that scares me most, honestly, Em, is customers give it away too freely. I mean, if you look at, you know, and there's some scary, especially if I look at young people, I don't think they realize just how precious and how much, I mean, we talked about, you know, what is identity, how much their identity and their fingerprints are being left absolutely everywhere. And that's why, you know, if you look at frauds and scams, that's why frauds and scammers are having an absolute field day because they can get access to people. They can look like they know you. They can serve up content that looks like it's either coming from a branded player or, you know, it's relevant. And I don't know if you've seen, I watched, um, and it is scary, I sent, it, I sent them to my daughters, but some of the YouTube, you know, where young girl sat on park bench, you know, man comes up to her and says, hi, Amy, lovely to see you again. And the girl's going, I just don't know you. I know I met you at the party last week and, you know, you're in such and such a place. And, I to, you know, I remember you and you talked to you. And within five minutes, that young girl's saying, oh, yeah, I do remember you now. All of it was from looking at the footprint that she'd left, things she posted on Facebook, you know, where, like Snap, you look at your, you can see exactly where they are, what they're doing. It's frightening. So for me, the value of data, and particularly in the, you know, the job that we do, I mean, a bank, we are uber cautious about how do we use and protect and have right guardrails around data and data quality, because it's frightening what can be achieved and I would say, you know, part of our job is to help customers understand why it's so important, why you need to think about who you're saying yes to and when you're turning stuff off and when you turn on. Getting customers to engage with that agenda is really hard, really hard. You know, getting them to go in and check their permissions and make changes, they're just not interested. And, and ironically, I think they've been so bombarded that, I, I you know, do you kick yes to accept you know cookies when you go onto a site me whatever yeah i'll just click that and not actually thinking about and understanding what's the consequence of you just clicking that button it's really interesting on the exchange i mean we talk a lot about value exchange so how can you exchange value so both parties benefit and protect i think we're only just moving into figuring out the answer to that as an industry um, my next question you've almost answered, but I'm just keen to dig a little bit more was um, obviously with consumers becoming more careful with their data and the risk of it being exposed. So back to that fingerprint um, example you used, especially in that banking and servicing uh, financial in just industry, <laughs> especially when it comes to banking and the financial sector. How are you educating your customers about their data privacy and rights? We are doing a huge amount of work, um, which interests me, starts with the customer. We've, do, we've done a lot on what do customers currently understand? 
what do customers expect in terms of value exchange? You know, what's important to them? So what we've seen is, interestingly, in banking, there's an implicit level of trust. So a high percentage of customers, over 80% of customers said, I would give you my data. And I'm prepared to, because I think there's an implicit exchange around services. So we can serve up better interest rates, give you products that really help you save money, educate rainfalls and scams. So we're doing a lot of work to go, how do you simplify the language? Where do you serve up the choices? You know, how do we get people to then select and think about channels of choice? And, and But the start point, actually interesting for financial services, has been there is an implicit level of trust and an expectation that you are going to, there is a value exchange in me doing this. I think the key thing we then need to do is make sure you don't abuse or use that in the wrong way. So you know, what's a service message and where does service start and stop? What's a, what's a marketing message and where does marketing start and stop? And then there is an area of grey, you know, us educating around frauds and scams, for example, isn't a sale and it's not a direct service message. I'd argue actually it is part of the service we offer because we're helping protect you. So we are doing a lot of how do we express this in really simple way? I mean, customer doesn't know what cookie is. I mean, that, you know, they don't know. And when you talk about we're going to do such and such analytics, they don't understand that. So how do we make it really simple and how do we build it into all of our journeys, all of our experiences so the customer has choice? Because what you get constantly is help me understand what I'm signing up for. The more you deconstruct those options, interestingly, the more trust you build. So the more you could go, do you want us to contact you at these channels deconstructed, the more confidence I've got and explain simply, and what are you going to do with my data? And that helps customers have, again, trust, because I'm clear about where I can make choices. I'm really clear about what the consequence of those choices are. And that together actually empowers, and that's what we're talking a lot about, how do you put the control in the customer's hands to make the decision around what they want and don't want to hear from their service providers? Um, so we've done a lot of work in that space and ultimately then plan it into and how do you make sure your back end, your systems, your data flows, your you know permissioning hub, you have all of the infrastructure to be able to manage that effectively really well and future and dynamically manage that because there's no point setting it all up and then you haven't got BEU run to make sure that's maintained. And the reason a lot of big legacy businesses have got you know, challenges it's the back-end data flows. I mean, you you think of the history of some of the legacy businesses, and I've seen that in the last few businesses I've worked in, they're almost a series of vertical P&Ls that have had technical solutions for that product solution. Therefore, you know, the customer doesn't care that you've got five different back-end systems managing five different products. Managing. The customer expects you to know them, ask them for their information once, regardless of where you show up in the infrastructure and that is a big challenge for big, complex businesses that have grown through either company acquisition or product expansion or where their structural architecture at the back end doesn't facilitate a, a single customer view. Um, and I've said, you know, in energy, the whole energy infrastructure is organized around the meter on the wall, the gas meter, the electricity meter, because that was the one thing that never moved house. The meter doesn't move, the customer moves. So you've got to do a lot of work to go, how do I get an aggregate view? Because the industry isn't organized and the industry flows aren't organized around people 
they're organized are sadly around meters so you know i just i think we need to ultimately for me just all come back to the customer in how do you help customer understand what they sign up for how do you help them understand the value exchange how do you make the value exchange what they are interested in and then how do you make damn sure that you are making absolutely good sound decisions on what the customer wants you to do and not do and use that data in a very very responsible way what a lot to be juggling um yeah and i love the analogy of um smart meter stays on the wall and you have to completely understand the customer and how to stay close to them um you know the industry is all about the consumers but tech just plays such that fundamental part um What opportunities do you see within data transformation within and for organizations? So we've spoken a lot about customers. Um, What are the current challenges with that as well? So, I mean, data, as I said, for me, is a key differentiating capability in business. And it's multifaceted and comes in multiple forms. I think one of the biggest challenges within businesses is how do you ironically harness the power of that data so and I've said this many times in consumer goods I spent most of my career in FMCG the challenge in FMCG is you don't own the customer relationship actually it's the retailer that owns the customer so you're selling into a retailer they're selling on you don't actually know the end point you know there's lots of stuff you can do with data and to to bit but you don't own the end-to-end in service industries, I know where you live. I know your product holdings. I can predict based on what behaviors I'm seeing on your spend patterns. You know, you, you're saving up a deposit. I can predict to 95% accuracy now you're likely to take out a mortgage in the next 12 months because you're at this life stage with this, you know, this spending stroke saving profile. And the biggest challenge is how do you take all of that data and turn it into actionable, usable insights. And that comes with challenges at multiple levels. First of all, people. You know, there is a massive lack of talent in the industry, and it's highly, highly, highly competitive for those people. So today, if you've got digital data analytics in your job title, you can command a pretty high salary and if you're really good, you're in high, high demand. So the the talent attraction and retention in spaces that really are core capability requirements is becoming even, even higher because everybody's chasing it. Everybody, whether it's the tech companies, whether it's service providers, you know, even I mean public services, you know, if you look at the government. So talent is a massive challenge. Then infrastructure and how do you get your data flows, your data governance, your data quality and the lineage of understanding where your stuff is flowing, because that is a critical enabler of us to be able to use the data. And the third piece is process. You know, how do you take that data and drive it into your business as it runs, whether that's proposition development, because actually the insight and the data and the behavioral stuff we can get hold of says build products and services for people who look like this. And you can be very, very, very directive now and data-driven in what that looks like through to how do you serve up the right message to the right customer and the right challenge and then measure the impact of that as marketeers. So are we we moving the peanut forward? So, I mean, it's, I would say if you'd said to me, what's the biggest shift you've seen in your marketing career? For me, it's about, 
the role of marketing and the role of data and technology is so core to now the function versus many years ago when it was about advertising. It's still about great creative and content, but the proliferation of external sites, digital marketing, the infrastructure, the technology as an enabler, I mean, it's transformed the role of what we do day to day. And you need to be absolutely, I mean, and I've said it and I've joked, but my best friend, as in not literally, but the person I need to spend the most time with in the organization is the CTO. Because, you know, how do we get the technology, how do we get the MarTech aligned and the strategy of technology aligned to how we're going to go and communicate and talk to customers because it's driving customer experience, it's driving our ability to acquire, it's driving our ability to measure. Did we make a difference on all of those millions of pounds we've just spent? So, and you know, it, it's challenging because particularly in businesses that have had 200 years of heritage and infrastructure that you're essentially trying to unpick because the world has moved on and technology's moved on. I've said we need to move at the speed of life now because the world is shifting so quickly. And, you know, you look at all the conversations at the moment around AI and, you know, chat. And I mean, that that's shifting. And as a marketeer, I have to be able to tap into that. And quite often you don't know how you're looking at it, you know, what, but you've got to be in it to win it. So it is, it's complex, but exciting. That's what I love about the function, to be honest. It just, it, it moves quick and You've got to keep your finger on the pulse of my, you know, and it's hard. You get old and you get programmed into and actually having people around you who are brilliant at what they do and can upscale me is really important. It's really interesting to talk about moving from advertising to marketing. So almost being about the message, actually moving about consumer first, people first, and how you link that. That's a lovely concept. And I guess something that companies need to be aware of because it depends what you are prioritizing and putting first and it's i mean and, and i would say it's very easy to say maybe it's very hard to do because you know if you think of the touch points that you've now got to be worrying about as a marketeer and i've always said you know it's a system it doesn't work unless it all works you could have the best communication externally in the world but if as soon as you hit your channels it falls apart we don't convert, we don't call you back if you call us, you go into the branch and the, you think they should know you and they can't see you on the system. You know, ultimately, this technology and data enables all of that to flow. And therefore, you, the more you can plug into that as a marketeer, the more you can serve and get it right for customers and actually find customers who look like the ones you've got in the external world and pull through. And that all needs to join up and you know, it, it's challenging because you don't own all of those levers, you know, as you've got, but you've got to understand. And what I've seen in the world is quite often people are very siloed. You know, I do acquisition, which means once it's hit the website, it's somebody else's problem. But actually, you need to care around what's that journey? Where's the dropout? Does it convert? Because it's the old leads versus sales unless you're thinking about that end-to-end, you know, have you got the right tagging on the site? Is is the team optimising the page worrying about conversion? And have you got aligned objectives? system doesn't work unless it all works. And data enables all of the above. I mean, you know, and 
that's why for me it is that's a source of competitive advantage but so interesting to work in a service industry because you can make all of that work to your advantage if you can get the system working which you know again is easy to say but it's actually really hard to do and again that's that value exchange so if you've got that part right that's I guess the value that the, your customers get as well so in theory it's very complicated but it should all work out objectively on all sides yeah it's fascinating I mean gosh you sound busy <laughs> so um trust is a big part of every business or so it should be we say um what are some of the things you think need to change and how can the industry come together to redefine our relationship with each other. So you've spoken about this a lot from your point of view and where you work. As an industry, how do you think we can work together more? I mean, I and I said my other day job is ISBAR presidency and I see there is a willingness as an industry to work together, particularly on some of the big challenges. And that is a combination of learning from each other. You know, actually, I see... And I'm a real magpie, to be honest. I mean, I love to go and to look at other businesses and, and not do the horse and pony show. Do Tell me what you've really struggled with, because, you know, we are all trying to figure it out. And we're at different stages of maturity and different stages of capability and sat on different back end tech platforms. So there's a, you know, we share the problems as an industry that we're all trying to solve. And then again, it starts for me to go, it's all done in service of making things better for customers. So how do we partner with the tech platforms? If you look at something like Origin, you know, which is, we're driving hard at ISBAR, how do we get consistent measurement across the industry that allows you to make choices around how you're spending your money, allows you to optimally optimize your campaigns in a dynamic way, allows you to stop over serving customers and bombarding them with communication, how do we as an industry drive hard for transparency? Where's my money going? How is it allocated? What's happening with the publishers? How then do we match impact with spend? You know, that they're industry problems. How do we work with government to make sure where we have policy and or regulation, it's fit for purpose and there's not unintended consequences? And that's, we speak as one voice as an industry because the tendency increasingly is to put in regulation the answer is self-regulation. You know, we should all be behaving and signing up to what does good look like and policing ourselves. But the more you force in regulation, there's a whole heap of side effects of what that then drives. So I think there's massive opportunity, which starts from policy setting, you know, collaborating and ultimately learning and listening to each other. And But it's all in service of we have to protect the customer and we have to make sure the customer's getting the right value deal outcome that's right for them. And the other lens I put on it is vulnerability. You know, we have a responsibility. And, you know, the, one of the biggest challenges in the UK is the, the distribution of wealth and, the distri- and how that then shows up. You know, that we have to protect the vulnerable and be responsible in that space as well as thinking about how you drive value creation. So... I think we can all learn from each other, to be honest. And again, interesting data sits right at the heart of all of that because customers will give you their data if you think you're going to use it in their best interests. 
and businesses can then act on that and how do you share and use it responsibly. But our ability to identify the customer starts from their willingness to want to be identified and they're only going to want to be identified if they trust what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. And and I've said before, trust is hard-earned, very quickly destroyed. And therefore, we need to work very hard to make sure that we are doing the right thing and operating in the right way with the right governance around it. Because you lose it, it's very, very hard to rebuild. And it's about what we do, not just what we say. And we have to actually be living the dream of the rhetoric. I'm interested to hear more about, you mentioned vulnerable quite a few times. What what do you mean by vulnerable? You said vulnerable customers, I think it was vulnerable customers. Um, I mean, vulnerable takes on many guises. If you look at the, um, there's a lot of work going on now with the FCA around what do we define as vulnerable? And it's multifaceted. So from physical disability through to mental disability, through to, um, you know, educational and some of it's transient so it could be a moment in time you've had something quite traumatic happen to you in life you know a death a loss of job so uh, you know it's a really complex area Amy and I think as a business you know helping which is back to if you understand your customer and how to help and lean into them at the moment they need it then we've just got to get better at understanding what does that look like and so we're doing a lot of work on vulnerability and how do you know, financial vulnerability is one where you know we see specifically with cost of living one of our big fears is people because of the impact of inflation interest rate rising energy prices rising cost of goods you know you could be a working family with two people working and suddenly you're really struggling to pay the bills and, that, and that's vulnerability because that, and a lot of people find themselves in that situation and they've never been in that in their entire life. So how do you know, we be helpful, useful, practical? And, and again, I think the, it starts with, do we understand our customers and when they need us? And how do we be seen as a place that you're going to come and ask for help? Because if we don't show up in the right way, right tone of voice, you know, and seen as accessible and part of the solution, then, you know, we... We're not great as a service provider so for me you know vulnerability is very complex but it is you you're for whatever reason physical mental you know or situational you are you need extra help and that extra help is totally dependent on what the vulnerability is we need to solve for yeah no thank you that makes a lot more sense um and and yeah and i think it sounds purposeful when you identify all these areas as well so just following on from that a little bit more, um, what do consumers need to do to be best equipped for companies collecting their data? So what tools could the industry offer them? So that importance of understanding our customer, what can we do as an industry to offer them more tools for this? I mean, there's an, so there's definitely an educational piece, but how do we, in a very simple way, help customers understand what's being collected why it's being collected and there's a language that goes in a pixel versus a cookie versus i mean that you know people don't understand it so i think there's a educational piece i actually do think there's an opportunity for us to be more consistent as an industry in how we are serving up 
the, the options and choices. If you look at the moment, everyone's pretty much doing it in their own way. Is it aggregated? Is it disaggregated? Is it channel specific? You know, I think we the more we can standardize what does that look like because it's like everything if you ask the same thing in the same way in the same time you go you know and you're well educated around it um transparency is obviously critical within all of that how do you help customers understand what you are actually doing with their data and back to the first point in a way that's easy to understand digestible um you know and and i think then there needs to be and there is consequence for what I still think is a relatively small percentage of bad actors you know if you're if you're not responsible in what you do there needs to be consequence for that but I think the more we can come together and self-police and self-regulate and and be consistent I think it will help people understand and simplify the jargon and the language and the you know I like your question of how would you describe it to a 10 year old because that's ultimate. And the average region age in the UK, I think, is nine. When you look at the day, it's nine. And I think the Times writes to a 12-year-old reading age. But, you know, we're very assumptive around people's level of understanding. on st- And they never think about it. And no one's ever really explained it properly. And T's and C's and privacy notices are, are, are really not the answer. There might be the regulatory get-out-of-jail card. But... Customers, the average customer is not wading through the privacy notice. So making it in in the journeys and experiences as clear, as simple and as explicit as possible, I think is really important. And we know it's important to customers because they want to understand the value exchange and understand what, what you're doing with their data. I, I'm, I'm smiling as you say this because I'm thinking of the daily acronym that I have to learn when you're in a conversation and somebody puts another acronym in, assuming you know and think that it means the same thing. So I love that concept of us almost trying to standardise such a important and valuable area. More Less acronyms, more consistencies, perhaps. Yeah, you want to come to banking. I mean, that was my biggest shock, I think. I mean, there's even acronyms that have multiple meanings depending on who you're talking to in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't navigate that and it is interesting I think particularly if you've been in an industry for a long time I think you become conditioned to the, you think this is normal this is how normal people speak so it's only when you step into it you go and I remember in energy when they were saying you know we sell tariffs and I was like I don't think I've ever used that word in my life until I start working in an energy like as a customer what did I call it like I didn't call it a tariff that's a really weird everything's around the tariff it's just bizarre uh, but uh, you do become it's like the moonies I think you become conditioned to this is just the way we talk and do things around. yeah 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 I, I've definitely been there and had to um re-explain a few terms in my time when somebody looks absolutely lost so what do you think want to say um, that you haven't already, we haven't discussed or mentioned already, anything you want to add? No, I think we've been pretty wide ranging. I just, the thing I feel passionate about is, and I say it all the time internally, is the reason we exist and the person that buys our beer on a Friday night is our customers. And therefore we have to engineer ourselves and organize ourselves to deliver what our customers need from us at the right time and be part of the solution for their worlds. And 
as brands, unless we do that, we're going to be extinct. And therefore, our job is to make sure we really understand the people we serve and we're doing the right thing for them. And for me, data is such a critical and technology enabler to enact that. Um, So it's a very important conversation because, you know, we're in a very privileged place that we we have the ability to make an impact. We need to use that carefully and responsibly. Yeah, I love that. It's almost customer first through all the complexity. And then just to re-say where you said that tech is then the enabler. It can be allows us to do better things and serve up better options for the people who ultimately are the reason we exist in marketing to do the jobs that we do. Yeah, that's that's lovely. I completely agree. So this podcast is all about individuals who have pioneered new ways to use data to deliver better customer experiences. So when you look to people that you admire in the industry, who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode? So there's one person we did work with around permissions. So he's a guy called Bob Hedges, who he's a very senior, whether you forget him, he's very senior in Visa. And he's been a brilliant sounding board for us talking about how to think about customer permissioning, data, responsible value exchange. So I would definitely recommend Bob. He's got some really great insights and understanding and thinking around how brands and businesses need to be thinking about data. So if you could get him, I'm happy to drop him an email and say, He's a gift for you that you might want to take up, but he'd be a really interesting guy to talk to. Well, I love a challenge. Let's see how we get on. Um, Mark, thank you so much for today. This has been brilliant. I can really see and feel your like energy and passion around all of this. It's been so nice to hear um, how, you're, how you guys are working, how you're going about it. I've got quite a few ideas of what I'm going to try tomorrow and the next day as well. But thank you so much for taking the time. Um, It's been fabulous to get to know you and more of what you're up to. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you, Em. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Margaret for joining us on Identity Architects. I really enjoyed that conversation. And in particular, I loved Margaret's passion for NatWest being a purpose-driven organization. As marketers, if we can identify the purpose or that why, it makes our job so much easier, as you always have that North Star to tap into. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening. (music) Thank <music> you.